0: Welcome back to Word to the Wise. I hope you've been enjoying this series. I kind of like the imagery we've been using because I love word games. So crossword puzzles are fun. If you've ever played Speed Scrabble, like even better than regular Scrabble, or Big Boggle, like I am the king of that game. But the thing I like about Big Boggle is you can find whatever words you want. When you're doing a crossword puzzle, there are very specific answers to these clues, right? And if you're like me, when you do a crossword puzzle, you start out... And you're just like flying through it. Like everything's blank at first. But as you read the clues, well, I know that one. Oh, yeah, that one's easy. Oh, I've seen that one before. And you start to fill in some of the blanks and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Like I am flying through this thing. But then as you keep going, well, I don't know about that. I'll, I'll just come back to that one later. And very quickly, your brain grinds to like a complete halt, right? You find that now you're stuck going back to the ones that you just didn't know what to do with. If you're like me, you start to realize some of the ones you were so sure about don't actually fit anymore. <laughs> you must have spelled something wrong or written something wrong. So here's a hint. Use a pencil. All right, that's a good idea. But maybe maybe you're a little better at crossword puzzles than I am. And if you do these a lot, you start to get good at it, right? You start to think the way the puzzle thinks. If you do them from the same place a lot, you maybe even start to think the way the puzzle maker thinks, You begin to understand the way they write clues, the way they give hints. Sometimes you even see the same clue happen again, so you know the answer right away, even though it should have been really difficult. You start to get a sense of of how that works and what the answers in those situations are. Now, my dad is one of those kind of people. He's the kind of guy that I could be sitting at the table, staring at one hint for 20 minutes, and you're trying to force like every one of those brain cells to fire because you know that answer is in one of them. And then dad walks by like without even slowing down. Seven letter word for holds water? Has to be cistern, right? Looks like that fits and just keeps going. It's like, (laughs) yes, it fits, dad, thank you, (laughs) right? So then sometimes I start getting lazy. Just, hey, dad, how about this? Yeah, thanks. Hey, dad, how about this one, (laughs) right? Just because bam, he's got the answer. And look at this. I'm even doing easy crossword puzzles (laughs) that, that my wife gave me. But sometimes life is kind of like living a crossword puzzle. You know, there's challenges that we hit, and sometimes, especially when we're younger, we just charge right through those things. You know, we all have to admit that when we were teenagers, we think we know a lot more than we actually do, and kind of by the time, maybe just even when we're in college, we start to realize we don't know as much as we thought. Then you get your first job, you get married, you have your first child, And you realize how tricky some of the challenges in the world are. You realize some of those places you were using pen might have turned out to be some really bad decisions. You know, I remember when we first brought our first child home and I'm thinking, like, I mean, I've seen this on TV. How hard is it to rock a baby to sleep? (laughs) Thank goodness that grandma was there the first few nights and Grammy came when grandma had to leave Because then we begin to realize that some of those people in our lives, our parents, our teachers, our mentors, even God, know a lot more than we thought. And there's places where they can just walk in, like my dad with that puzzle, look at what's going on in our lives and say, bam, I've got the answer for you. I've got a piece of advice that's going to be perfect for this moment. So today, as we continue in our series, Word to the Wise, that's one of the pieces I really want you to hear the idea of someone who cares about you giving you advice. Because in today's proverb, the elder Solomon is sitting down with a younger man to try to give him some perspective, some advice that will help him to have a successful marriage for a lifelong track of wisdom.
1: Okay.
2: I don't know where the question I don't
1: know where the song is. Well, I ask you a question, the first one? Right, uh... What is the worst thing about being young?
2: Well, you get lots of homework. It's also pretty. It's they're like in the in the middle, like in hmm. in school, like in the middle of bad and good. Oh. What is the worst thing about being old?
1: Not being able to do things that you could do when you were young. Um, like
2: I. Uh, you can't bend down and get stuff on the floor?
1: Well, I can still do that. But the problem is your body gets a bit stiff.
2: Well, I know it hurts a lot when you're yeah. down when you like... Old. That's
1: right, yes. You might get sick more often. Hopefully yeah. I don't. But that's yeah, the problem. It's
2: pretty bad.
1: It is pretty bad. Do you wish you were old?
2: Maybe. Like, so I was old and I... So I can like buy stuff for my own and have be and have Mm -hmm. been married but that'll be you. Do you wish you were young? Why? Uh,
1: Well the problem about, uh, the great thing about being young is you have more time. You have more time to do things. I could play games, which I did. I used to play cowboys and Indians.
2: Yeah, that's what I play.
1: Do you? Yeah. That's what I like about being young. I could use my imagination more.
2: That's a sad story. You can't do that anymore.
1: I could be an uh, an older cowboy. I might do it, Jeff. Will you fall in love? And what will it be like?
2: I don't know. Like, we'll have babies. It'll be like fun. I'll have to change. Even though I'll have to change his diaper. It'll be fun. Ah. But what about if he cries? Ah well, it doesn't like etch sharing very much. Hmm? Did you fall in love? What was it like?
1: Yes, uh it was different for me. I fell in love late.
2: And did you get married?
1: No, unfortunately, uh my my partner, she passed away, she died, unfortunately. That's that was a sad thing. yeah. She got sick.
2: I'm gonna cry.
1: No, 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 don't. No, 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 you. no. Ah, no, no. It's, these things happen, Sean. That's life. But we, we have. I have very good memories. Very good memories. And you live a lot of the time. You live in your head with memories. You can remember all the good things, and that's the important thing. Well, the advice I would give to you, Sean, uh, is. You don't have to be rich to be happy. Do the things you like doing that make you feel good. Because when you're happy yourself, everybody else is happy.
2: To, like, act normal. Don't be silly. Don't bully lots of people. The people I know in school, like my friend Alex in school, whenever he gets hurt, I hug him. He might not be able to work,
1: Oh, that's a good advice. Uh, and be yourself... Don't let other people tell you what you should be. Just be as you are. Isn't that true?
2: Yeah. And
1: I'm sure your life is going to be very successful. You, you have all the right things. You have all the right things to do. All your good friends. And uh, keep those friends going. And keep life going. Oops. There you go.
0: Hmm. You know, I wonder as you watch that, It's so sweet to see the two of them sharing advice with one another. Can you imagine that that was you and God sitting there having that conversation? And I don't just mean like, can you picture God as a kind old man? But what I mean is, do you think of God that way? Like he's kind to you. Do you think of him as being as patient (laughs) as that guy was, even when the kid is interrupting as gentle, as helpful. I mean, you can just see in his eyes when he's holding his hand at the end that if this is the only time they talk, he wants this kid to get something meaningful that's going to last. And can you imagine yourself as the kid? Like, if God is trying to tell you something, are you as as open and honest and receptive as that kid was? You know, there's just nothing between the two of them that that the kid isn't just willing to talk about, right? I love that picture, and I think that that really helps us as we approach the Proverbs, as we approach the kinds of ways that God is trying to give us advice, to imagine it sort of like that conversation. Because Chad gave us the challenge a few weeks ago to try to read a proverb a day. So if this is your first week with us, you can just jump in with whatever the date is on the calendar, turn to Proverbs 14, and and read that, and see what it talks about. Um, And so I've taken up that challenge, too, And it's really been, um, I guess, challenging to me because as I go through them and I write notes, there's some of these Proverbs that the only thing I write next to it is the word, ouch. When I realize that one hits me right between the eyes and it's a piece of advice that I have not been taking and I need to. And then there's others where it's like, oh, that is awesome and Proverbs is wonderful and I love this. So I'll just tell you, today, what we're talking about In Proverbs 5, God is addressing this issue of lust and temptation and adultery. And it really does kind of start like an ouch. But it leads to a Proverbs is wonderful moment. In fact, if you look at Proverbs 5, verses 15 and 18, give us a couple hints of where God is bringing us. Because this is what it says. Drink water from your own cistern. Hey, that's that word from our crossword puzzle. (laughs) Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. All right, so that's the picture. That's the point that God wants us to get us to. How our marriage relationships can be joyful and refreshed and blessed. And so he's going to give us some warnings along the way about the dangers of temptation that hurt that. And I understand that when we sit in a room this size with as many people as are here, not everyone here is married. Some people may not be married yet. Some people, your marriage may be in the past. Some people, you're wrestling through something right now, or maybe you're married again. And so I would encourage you that I think what God unpacks for us here applies to, quite literally, sexual temptation outside of marriage. But it also goes beyond that to all of the different kinds of things, whether it's lust for sex, maybe it's lust for power, lust to look good, lust to be successful. Any of those temptations that pull on us begin to divide us and begin to waste our resources. All of those kinds of things apply in this place. But God does want to specifically talk about the picture of marriage because God cares about you. God cares about your spouse And God cares about your marriage. In fact, throughout the Bible, God actually uses marriage, that kind of covenant relationship, that till death do us part kind of love, to describe his love for us. And so here he's using the image of a cistern, a well running with fresh water to be a picture of marriage. And our word to the wise today is simply that, drink water from your own well and your marriage will rejoice. Drink water from your own well and your marriage will rejoice. So how do we make our marriages a well of refreshment and avoid wasting the water that makes marriage joyful? Well, I think the first way that he gives us in this passage is to pay attention to the source of the well. Right? A fresh water well is kept pure by paying attention to the level of the water, the quality of the water, and contaminants that may or may not be getting in and out of the water. Like stagnant water always ends up in a bad situation, right? But the idea here of running water, fresh water, living water, is what God wants us checking on. So so I don't know about you, but do you get that report once a year that they mail to you from the township that tells you what the water quality is like in your neighborhood? Every time I get that, have you ever actually read it, like usually you're probably like, I'm not opening that. So if you actually read it, what it always tells you is there are contaminants in your water, but there's not too many. So we'll all be fine. So, okay, I guess I'll take your word for it. But a piece of me is like, I would much rather have a well with no contaminants, right? I'd rather have fresh water that has nothing in there that's going to hurt me, hurt my spouse or hurt my family Because a lot of times, our culture treats the family like the marriage and our children are separate, and like if things don't go well over here, I'm sure we'll still be fine over here, but that is not true. And God, part of why he speaks to us about this, part of why Solomon is writing this today, is because the marriage is the foundation for the family. And so caring about your spouse first and paying attention to the source of the well is critical. And so this is what Solomon writes, "'My son, pay attention to my wisdom.'" Lend your ear to my understanding that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. Now, if you've got kids, don't you wish it was that easy? I feel like I'm constantly saying, look me in the eyes, focus on me. Like we just bought a puppy and I won't even go into that right now, (laughs) but we're at dog training yesterday and they say, They say, choose a focus word. So it can either be look or it can be focus. Something that when you say that, it means the dog looks at you right in the eyes right away. And so first I was telling Shotzi, which means sweetheart, that's our little puppy, look. And then I realized, well, you're not supposed to use common words or it'll confuse the dog. And I'm so constantly telling my children, look at me. (laughs) I don't want to confuse the dog. We better use focus or something else instead. And yet, how many times, think about like when you were a kid or sitting in front of a teacher or just as a parent, If you just got their attention that first time, how much pain would we avoid? Like if I just gave my attention at the moment that it was asked for, how much blessing would I embrace instead? And so his first thing is he's telling us, pay attention. And for Solomon, the fact that this was addressed to my son is because it's something that when we learn this, whether we learn it the easy way or the hard way, we want to be able to pass that on to take that advice, like the guy in the video, and give it to a younger generation. And and hopefully, you know, we're always saying things like, learn from my mistakes, right? Well, Solomon knew all about this. Solomon knew how painful chasing sexual temptation could be. I mean, he struggled with that at times in his own life. So some of what he's writing here is things that he heard from God, but didn't always listen to and found out exactly what kind of pain it could cause. But not only that, Solomon's own parents their relationship actually began as an adulterous relationship initiated by his dad. And yet, there was a moment before Solomon was ever born, before Solomon was even conceived, before Solomon's parents had even met, that God spoke to Solomon's dad about Solomon and said, I'm going to be his father. God said, I'm going to be Solomon's father. And even when he makes mistakes... Even if he messes up, even if I have to let him feel the consequences, feel the pain to redirect him. Look what it says in this last line: My mercy shall not depart from him. Sometimes that's translated as loving kindness. So I want you to hear the heart of God as your Father, because I believe that He would speak this to us too. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I care enough about you to give you the warning, to let you feel the pain if you don't follow the warning. But hear me. No matter what happens, forgiveness is always available. Mercy is always available. My loving kindness will not be taken away. Can you hear that from God this morning? See, sometimes I think that we get in this place... And I don't know where you're at in terms of what you think about the Bible, what you think about God, whether you think this is good advice, or at least it's practical, but I don't know where it really came from. You know, a lot of times we think about God as if he's just some kind of cosmic rule giver, like he's the fun police, and he's a little bit out of touch, and if God would kind of get with the times and realize it's 2019 in Cincinnati, then things would be a little smoother. But the truth is that God is really an omniscient father who always knows the best advice, And his advice always leads to the best outcome. And he wants that for you because he loves you. So I think you've got to hear everything else in Proverbs 5. Everything else in the book of Proverbs. And everything else in the entire Bible through that heart. A God who says, this is because I love you so much. Will you take that in? Will you hear it that way? Because that's then why he warns us so strongly about the consequences of, taste, of chasing temptation outside of marriage. In fact, what he says is, don't ponder the path of temptation or you'll end up wasting your water. Don't ponder the path or you'll end up wasting your water. In fact, this is exactly how he puts it in Proverbs 5, 3 and following. He says, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is smoother than oil. The idea being, it sounds really good. It looks really good. It's attractive. We feel like we want that. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps lay hold of hell. Whoa, God. Pay attention. Are you listening? Like, I hear you now. He says, lest you ponder her path of life. Right, This is the warning, lest you would go there and actually even think about that thing. And here's his advice, remove your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't even risk it, don't even go there, run away as far as you can. Whatever it takes, remove yourself from the temptation. Either remove it from you, or if you can't, remove yourself from it. Now one thing we've got to understand about these verses is that, you know, just like that video of the, the older man talking to the young boy, this is a picture of a father talking to his son. And so that's why the image given is of the immoral woman. The idea being that this is someone who tries to tempt and drag you away to do something that you know is wrong that is going to end up hurting you. But the opposite is certainly also true. This could be a father to his daughter or a mother to her son, a mother to her daughter giving that same warning. And so I want to be careful just to point out that this is not blaming women. There is no room here to say, well, it's not my fault. You know, it's what she was wearing or she tempted me or she started it. Right, that's the, that's the mistake that Adam made in the garden, tried to blame Eve when they were both at fault. So just know there's none of that in this passage. This is a picture of two people willingly giving in to sex and a physical relationship outside of the marriage covenant. Now what I think is interesting about this line, lest you ponder her path, that idea of ponder actually picks up very clearly on something that Jesus would teach in the New Testament. So Jesus comes, and there's all these people who are like super religious, and they could check all the boxes, and if this topic that came up, they'd say, don't worry, I have never failed at Proverbs 5, I've never had an affair with another woman. And Jesus says to them, well, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but hold on, listen, listen to what I'm telling you, right? He loves them so much that he doesn't lower the standard because he loves them so much and say, hey, hey, we all make mistakes, don't worry about it. In fact, what he says is, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, I'm telling you, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Don't ponder the path Jesus is saying. Don't even think about it. Now, that's a different layer for a lot of us. We think, hey, as long as I don't do these things, right? because I wouldn't want people to find out about this thing. I don't want to risk my reputation if that thing happened. But there's stuff that goes on in here. Or there's stuff that goes on right here. That Jesus is saying it's not just the physical, it's a head issue, it's a heart issue, and this matters. So think about that for yourself. Ask yourself, where do I let my mind wander? You know, where are those places, maybe at work, when you're around the opposite sex, when it's late at night and there's no accountability? You know, online, with things like, like chatting, social media, and of course, pornography, now this one is an interesting one because I've heard it said that, that lust is every man's battle. And in our digital age, pornography is an absolute firebrand for that. But did you know that 40% of pornography users are actually women? And whether that is your particular challenge or not, you know, maybe you hear stuff like this and you say, well, thank goodness I don't do those things. Hey, thank goodness you don't do those things. That is good. But don't lose track of the the levels and the layers that Jesus is talking about because sometimes it's just as simple as sitting around and fantasizing, sitting around and daydreaming what it might be like to have sex with that other person. Or maybe even more simply, what it would be like to just go out to lunch for them. Or maybe if I was married to a guy like that, he would be kinder to me or, or he would be gentler with me or he would be nicer to me. Right? All of those things are pondering the path. Because when you look at affairs that happen, as common as that has become, it usually doesn't start with, you know, I'm really happy in my marriage, but I just, I think I'm going to have an affair. Usually what happens is there's something going on in society. There's some entertainment or media that you're putting in. There's something that starts to drag you away to enticement. There may be something in the marriage that's hurting. There's a stress. There's an argument. There are outside forces. You know, Things that you don't control that aren't even necessarily wrong between you and your spouse. But there's circumstances of life that have become painful. And it begins to fracture the relationship. And we begin dividing our attention. We begin dividing our resources of love and time between our spouse and something else that we hope fills that need. And the reality is it won't fill the need. The reality is even your spouse can't fill all of your needs. They are just a person too. That the baseline underneath all of this is that we actually need God to be feeding into us. And a few years ago I, I met a couple who are um, were good friends of ours, uh, Jim and Donna, and as I looked at Jim and Donna from the outside, it seemed like everything was fine. But it turns out that uh, Jim traveled a lot for business, and Jim was extremely successful. He was the top salesman at the company that he was at, and so he traveled a lot, because more travel, more sales. And you would never would have known it from the times that he was back on the weekend and sitting with us at church. But Jim was struggling with temptation. And when he was on the road, and he was far from his wife, those were the times that temptation was the strongest and he was giving in, and he was giving in repeatedly, and he was giving in on a regular basis. And it wasn't until it all kind of finally came out that Jim admitted that he thought this was only hurting him, if it was even hurting him, because there's some of it that he really liked. He thought it had nothing to do with his wife or his two sons as long as they didn't find out what he realized was, of course, when they found out, that was extremely painful. But he also realized that even during that time, because of the way that he was dividing himself, he was giving less time, less attention, less care to his family. And he felt all of the pain that Proverbs 5 describes. And you can see some of it in verses 9 through 11 right here. Lest you ponder her path, then it says, lest you give your honor to others. Your years to the cruel one, lest aliens be filled with your wealth, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and you mourn at last when your flesh and body are consumed. So lest you give up your honor, the idea there is that we lose our reputation and our integrity when we chase temptation. Not only that, he says aliens will be filled with your wealth, and that's not like X-Files kind of stuff. (laughs) It just means people not from your family. Like if your family is who you're trying to build that wealth for, that inheritance for, this literally divides our resources, our time, our emotion, our finances. And you mourn at last when your flesh and body are consumed because the consequences of guilt and regret and fear eat you up inside. In fact, he goes on in the next couple of verses, verse 12 and following, because to me, I I hear that and I think, why would we ignore this advice? This advice is so good, why would we not listen to this? And yet, he says, I've hated instruction and despised correction. Like, how do we get there? Not just to passively ignore it. it. It isn't even just that I'm not paying attention, but that I'm actively pushing it away to the point that we're on the verge of total ruin. Should your fountains be dispersed? That the fresh water of the well is being poured out in the street and wasted? You know, sometimes I think that the way that happens is kind of a pride issue. I know that's what happens in me because it feels like needing help is weak. Right? Like if I was a great husband and a great dad, I don't need help. I don't need to talk to somebody. I just, I'll be stronger. I'll fix it. When the reality is getting help, means now you not only have your own resources, but you have a vast wealth of resources, whether that's from a professional counselor or a mentor, somebody who's got tools that you couldn't even imagine. Just like when my dad walks by, looks over at the crossword puzzle and says, cistern. Oh, really? Well, we've got a lot of more things I'd like to ask you about then. I'd love to know how you solved that one. What are you reading? What are you taking in that you've got access to this kind of vocabulary, these kinds of answers, this kind of advice and wisdom, Right? You know, sometimes it's because we're just lying to ourselves. We think, I can stop whenever I want. I can fix this. It's not hurting other people. Or we even become obstinate and start to say, well, it's my life and it's my choices and I think God would want me to be happy and you should leave me alone. So again, I don't know all of you well enough to know where you may or may not have struggled with any of this. But you can think to yourself, where are those places that your mind wanders? Where is it that you may make some of those kinds of statements? you avoid getting input that you don't want. Like if a spouse says I think we should see a counselor and you say no. Well why not? Or if a friend says hey I'm concerned about some of the things I'm seeing so you just start avoiding that friend. Or avoiding God or avoiding the Bible. Like I admit, there's times where I'm reading something in Proverbs and I'm like, oh man, that is about me and I'm not sure I want to read the next line. But the truth is, if it is the truth, it's exactly what I need to hear, right? I had a friend a number of years ago, Dale Steiner, who told me that he read a Proverb every day so that every month he read the entire book of Proverbs. And I've... Don't know why I didn't start doing that the second he said it, because he was one of those guys that had like, if this was the model marriage, if this was the example of how you could face challenges, how you could face struggle, how you could have things in your marriage that need forgiveness, and you could get stronger together, hey, Dale, how do you do that? And he would tell you, it's because he read Proverbs all the time, because it's so practical, and it gave him exactly the advice that he needed, so that if for any reason he was getting off track or he was forgetting, he would open this book, and it would remind him, hey, Drink from your own well. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm focused. I'm on it. In fact, I found a great quote from C.S. Lewis about temptation that has really uh, come to be an interesting one for me because he writes this book, Mere Christianity, where he's trying to process how to live that Christian life. And this is what he wrote. He said, A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. All right, so he's going to break down that it's not like it's good and bad. And some of the things I've said today— Oh, there are bad people who do that, aren't there? Now, the reality is it's just we're people and temptation is real. And this is what he says. So there's a silly idea that good people don't know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. Now listen, C.S. Lewis is not like wagging his finger at you. I know this is one of those passages, one of those chapters that can feel that way. In fact, if you read his stuff, he'll talk to you about his own struggles. He'll talk to you about how he was trying to overcome that, what that looked like for him, what he was praying about, what he was reading. And honestly, I don't think that God is wagging his finger at you either. Remember, he's a father who loves you. And I'll tell you, I'm not wagging my finger at you either. Because if you talk to me, I can tell you about my own struggles. Even in this area. Because although I've never had an affair like this passage talks about, I know what it's like to be trapped by lustful thoughts. I know what it's like to look at things online or on TV that now I wish I had never seen. I know what it's like to be tempted... And to give in. To deny, to rationalize, to hide. To pretend that I'm going to fix it because I don't want to do this thing. And to try to keep it to myself. And end up with guilt and regret. Stuck in that trap. I know what it's like to have that as a single person and feel like I should stop before I get married. And to bring that into a marriage and realize how it not only hurts me, but it hurts my family. And the reason that I'm telling you that is is not to like make it awkward for you. I know, you know, there may be some in the room right now who are thinking, I should not have come today. This is not the thing I wanted to hear. He's talking about me. But the reason I do share this with you is because I also know what it's like to escape that trap. Because the reality of a trap is that you cannot get yourself out. If you struggle against the trap, it gets tighter, it gets worse, it gets more painful you know and maybe this particular issue isn't as strong for you but it is that that lust for power that lust for beauty that that lust for success there's something that controls you and divides your attention and it's not just hurting you whether you've felt it yet or not it hurts you and it's going to hurt your family in fact my wife and i even went to see a counselor and i discovered that underneath all of that for me the strongest thing that was controlling me was actually a fear of failure And it's part of what kept me from stepping into the light to say, hey, I actually want to work on this stuff. I actually want to work on my anger too and my anxiety too is that I felt like it would mean I had to admit that I didn't get things right the way I wanted to. And I can tell you, it is hard to step into the light but it is worth it. So if you're sitting here this morning on any of those issues or maybe something that comes to mind for you that I haven't even mentioned and you're feeling like, I wish you would just stop so I can leave can I just encourage you? Like today could be a day to step into the light. And there's hard work to do, but it will be worth it. Because Proverbs 5 is talking about a God who breaks open the trap. He rips it to pieces and he sets captives free. In fact, one of the first things that Jesus ever taught when he came here, God in the flesh saying, I want you so clearly to hear my advice. I'm going to stand right in front of you. I can shake your hand. We can hug when it's over. I'm going to tell you I love you. I'm going to tell you I forgive you. I'm going to tell you about mercy. I'm going to tell you about love. One of the first things he ever taught was, I have come to set captives free. See, that's the God that we're talking about. That's the Jesus. And who he sets free is free indeed. And I can tell you, I know what it's like to be set free. To move from secrets and self-centeredness that we are just not built for to rejoicing in what and where God has put me, who he has put me with. I know what it's like to have a spouse who forgives and to share hope together for a future that God believes is worth it. In fact, my wife and I just celebrated 13 years of marriage a couple of weeks ago. And it was incredible as we just sat down over dinner to remember all the things that God had done in our lives. All the ways that he had been kind to us, all the ways that he had been generous to us, All the ways that he had taught us to be generous to other people. Things that needed forgiveness. Family and medical trials that he had brought us through. And to rejoice in the goodness of God. And that's why I really love the last part of this proverb. When God says rejoice in your own well. You see the picture here is so powerful because god doesn't leave us with all this warning and this drag you to hell and all that kind of stuff he says but listen because i have something good in store for you and even if you've missed it on every step along the way to this point hey god would not write this if there couldn't be course correction god would not write this if it couldn't get better if the only purpose was to tell you you were bad and leave you there why bother But he writes this because forgiveness, healing, joy are available. He says, drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Hey, are you feeling thirsty? Are you feeling distant? Go to your spouse and say, time for a date night. We need to put some time together to put the joy back into our relationship. To rejoice in what God has given us. To become stronger with his help. Because I tell people all the time, the best thing for a marriage... Counseling is helpful. I'm going to give you a couple other things in a minute, but the best thing is if he goes and talks to Jesus and you go and talk to Jesus, he's not going to tell you different things. And when you come back together, then Jesus brings unity like you've never seen before. He says, let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. See, now we can begin to really tell the difference between the fool and the wise person. See, the fool despises correction. They're willing to ponder the path of temptation. And as soon as they start thinking about it, it starts leading them that way. They end up wasting resources until they find themselves in total ruin and death. Show of hands who volunteers to be the fool. (laughs) Good, very good. You're paying attention, right? Because that's what the wise person does. They pay attention to a wise counselor, to the writing Solomon gives us from God himself. And I can tell you one of the best things I've ever done in my life, I recommend this to everybody, find a mentor that you trust. Someone who can bring God's perspective. Someone who can love you when you make mistakes. Someone who can call you out on attitudes and actions. Someone who you're actually willing to take their advice. Right? It's so helpful. The wise person removes themselves from the temptation invests their resources back into their marriage and their family, and they end up blessed, joyful, enraptured, and, and satisfied. In fact, if you go on to read, we haven't covered all the verses from chapter 5, but if you go on to read them, it includes the physical joy that you share together with your spouse. But it's got to be more than physical, right? Because that doesn't last. But here's the reality. I want to give you a few things that that Horizon actually has coming around the corner Because we believe that God cares about your family and your marriage. And so we do too. And so just a few of the things that are coming up. One of them is that this fall we have three family nights. In August, September, and October. And all of those are built around encouraging your family. How you relate with your kids. And encouraging your spouse. How you relate with your spouse. And so I would highly encourage you. More details are, I think, in the program today. They are coming about that. So watch for those. Because um, I know exactly what's coming. And it's going to be really good another thing just for the guys, I would tell you, is watch for our next round of Authentic Manhood this fall. We've done um, different programs like that for years, but a couple rounds of what we call Authentic Manhood recently. And this is so valuable for helping you become a better dad, a better man, and a better husband, whether it's at home, at work, wherever it is. And this season is, I think, a really cool one, really powerful that sometimes we run from, but take my word for it, it's worth it. Because this round is called A Man and His Traps. And it's not just the sexual, although we'll cover that too, but the idea being, if I want to be the best that I can be, if I want to have the best success I can, what are the pits, what are the the cliffs, what are the things that I'm about to fall off of, that if God just showed them to me, if I pay attention to that advice, then I end up more successful. So that one's just for the guys. And then another one is, um, family life has something called a weekend to remember, And they actually come to Cincinnati and do this weekend where it's like an intensive weekend, a lot of fun, just you and your spouse. Perfect thing, whether you're trying to go from bad to good, good to great, or just have a weekend getaway to enjoy each other. My friend that read Proverbs that I mentioned always went to these, constantly told me how awesome they were. So I never missed a chance to recommend them to other people. (laughs) And my wife would say, hey, we should go to that thing. And I would say, I don't need help. Right? We're good. We're fine. Let me just tell you, I have since then been to a weekend to remember, and it is awesome, and it is worth it. So don't listen to me. Listen to Dale Steiner. This is a good thing. Um, They do them all over the country all year round, so you don't have to wait till February, but there is one coming to Cincinnati again in February. Um, And then I would say the last thing is just counseling. A professional counselor, especially coming from a God-centered perspective, can give you so many tools that you just don't even know are available to working on your relationship and building joy into your marriage so that you can drink water from your own well and have your marriage be refreshed. You know, Jim and Donna, who I mentioned to you before, they would tell you that that is possible. Because to be honest, actually by the time I met them, they had worked through all of those problems. They decided they wanted to be people who didn't give up And they had actually become leaders in our recovery ministry, helping other couples understand how they could rebuild marriages. How they could actually look at their own marriage, drink from their own well, and have their marriage be refreshed. And so in just a minute, the band is going to come out. In fact, I'll invite you guys out right now. Because we want to be able to have those kinds of marriages and be those kinds of people. And I know that whatever your story is, the only person you control is you. As much as you may want to feed into a relationship, it may be that the person on the other side isn't, but you can still choose to be a person who does not give up. If you're here with your spouse, or you're going to go home and talk to them, you can choose to be a couple who does not give up. And you can be joyful and refreshed because God will not give up on you.